Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. Gators Breakdown, episode 163, is ready to go. I'm your host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. And joining me for this episode is co-host Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSCC and his site, readandreaction.com. Well, second week of fall camp, uh, about, you know, I guess about a week and a half, you know, two weeks in now, a lot of practices start stacking up. Uh, some things getting a little clearer, some things still muddied. But, of course, uh, I, I guess we could say the quarterback situation is getting a little bit clearer, but uh, I don't think anybody still feels that great about it. I don't know, man. It's lion season. we got 18 <laughs> days until until the truth finally comes out. So, um you know, we can, we can make, we can make the generals or we can make analysis of the things that we hear and that sort of stuff. But, uh, I think at the end of the day, <laughs> at the end of the day, we'll know September 1st and, and I'm chomping at the bit. Yeah. I was on the Bill King show this morning, uh, Tuesday morning. And he, uh, he says, and he's been saying this for probably the last week or so right now, what we hear and you know, what, what we're allowed to hear is that's pretty much what it is. It's what we're allowed to hear. You know, the teams are still trying to shape their public narrative right now. Sure. I mean, we talked last week about some of the public comments that Mullen was making about the quarterbacks and about some other positions as well. And, and you know, certainly there was an open scrimmage. So there are some reports coming out from there that aren't necessarily filtered, but, you know, there's there's a limited amount of things that you can see in one scrimmage. Um, you know, if one quarterback struggles or something like that, it's just not, you know, there, there are going to be times where a guy just has a bad day. So, um you know, I, I think we're getting a better idea of what to expect coming out on the first game of the year, but that doesn't mean it's not going to change awfully quickly because uh, it sounds like uh, it sounds like there's a quite a bit of competition in the camp. Absolutely. So, yeah, as Will mentioned, you know, over the weekend, there was an open practice that uh, the media got to see, a full open practice there for the media. And then on Monday night, the Gators uh, had a scrimmage. So, you know, some things are starting to leak out about that. So we'll uh, we'll hit that. We'll hit that as well. Kind of tie all those things together from what we heard last week all the way up uh, to this week. But before we do that, remember, you can find all the Gators Breakdown episodes on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. All the Gators Breakdown episodes, as, as well as our uh, opponent previews that are uh, kind of coming out right now. Vanderbilt earlier this week, Georgia later this week. Uh, so, you, you know, we'll get a preview of the, the team that's, uh, the, I think, the, is the best on Florida's schedule with Georgia later this week. So you'll find that at newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. 
Also, listen to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube if you want the video version. And using those services, please share, rate, review the show. Let Gator Nation know what they're getting with Gators Breakdown. And also follow us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, at Gators Breakdown. So, Will, as I mentioned last week, we were discussing uh, how well Kyle Trask looked. And the quarterback position was just starting out, you know, as as fall camp. And Trask kind of took, you know, if you want to, I guess, call it a race from from that point on, maybe took an early lead. But I think most people still kind of considered it Felipe Frank's job to lose uh, the open practice come about this past weekend where Frank's looked pretty good. Uh, he made some throws that uh, he hadn't been making as far as corner routes go, uh, a route that had given him some problems uh, there. Uh, but, you know, still, of course, inconsistent, did leave uh, some open throws underneath while he was searching for the deep ball, throw the ball deep a little bit. So it's still that consistency that's still the problem. But, you know, from all accounts, he put one of his uh, better practices together. Yeah, I mean, I think that's something that we should expect from a sophomore quarterback regardless. Um, You hope that those moments of inconsistency become fewer and far between. You also sort of hope that the big plays are there. So, you know, last year, Franks didn't necessarily average a whole lot of yardage when you looked at his actual statistics. Um, You know, if if you're only going to average six yards of throw, well, well, that's a real issue. (laughs) So I think he averaged 6.3 yards of throw. You know, I can take a little bit of inconsistency if you're chucking it down the field and you're averaging nine, nine, nine and a half, or maybe even eight yards of throw. But that six and a half just isn't going to get it. Just isn't going to cut it. So, you know, you hope he's more consistent. You hope that he's learned some things. You hope that he can put together um, stretches where the inconsistency doesn't show up. But I, I think we need to expect that there's going to be inconsistency with any quarterback in the system just because it's a new system and, you know, irrespective of the 229 attempts he had last year, um, you know, he's, he's starting in a new system. And certainly I think that uh, some of the development that we hope to see last year, you hope you'll see this year under Mullen. Yeah. You read my mind there. Uh, inconsistency right now still isn't that big of a deal to me. Not, not right yet. You know, just because of the, of the new system, and you know, the biggest question I think fans have, and you, when you go back to last year, look, a year ago, we were kind of hearing the same thing. Um, Malik Zaire had come in, wasn't really getting the job done. Uh, Luke Del Rio, you know, you, you were hearing it was more of a, a battle between, you know, he was coming off the injury, uh, and then Felipe Franks, and I was in the camp of, you know, throw Franks out there just because this was a guy, McElwain and Nussmeyer were recruited. It was time to see what they could do with one of their quarterbacks. Oh, we all know how all that played out. But, you know, a year ago, we were starting to hear some good things as well. Um, but then it's, it, it's what's, it's what does Franks do once the bullets start flying? And then uh, reports from Monday night scrimmage uh, that none of the qu- quarterbacks look particularly good. And, and some of the reason for that could be uh, there's still poor offensive line play. And, and we'll still get into that as far as pass blocking goes. Uh, but, you know, it's just another, as we said, inconsistency. It was another time where Franks wasn't able to follow up the good practice performance with a good scrimmage performance. And that's what we heard and and saw throughout the spring a lot. You know, a lot of the time when the media um, was there covering the team or we had some open practices, Felipe Franks would look good one time and then they'd have the scrimmage a couple of days later and he he would struggle in the the scrimmage. So, yes, it was a new offense for him, new offense for the offensive line. uh, And and still, they're still learning. Yes, it's fall camp. They've had a spring a week and a half now uh, of fall camp. Uh, I, I don't. I do still say we can be patient for for right now from what the, the type of performance we're getting from Felipe Franks. 
Well, I think we're probably going to have to be, yeah. which is why, and you know, the, I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody of not being patient and of sitting there and looking and saying, oh, he should see that, or oh, he should know better than that. Um, I think last year it was sort of compounded by the fact that we saw things that the coaches weren't making adjustments and weren't necessarily putting him in a position to succeed. Mullen has talked a lot about making sure that he puts his quarterbacks in a position to succeed where they're doing things that they're comfortable doing. Um, you know, and, and we'll see if he's able to do that, but to expect them to come out and be maker Baker Mayfield just isn't, isn't realistic. And I think that's one of the themes as we move into the season is going to be, what is a set of realistic expectations for this Florida team? Certainly by the time you get to the Georgia game or the Florida state game, you hope that you're hitting on all cylinders, but early on in the season, you know, it's sort of a feeling out process, both for Mullen and for the players. And it's going to be interesting to see, um, what that looks like is those guys sort of struggle to figure out the concepts. And like you said, when the bullets fly, you're going to have to make adjustments and we'll see who can make those adjustments. But, you know, I also think Frank's has sort of received the ire of a fan base that's been starving for a quarterback for a decade now. And, you know, some of that is unfair <laughs> in that, you know, he, he wasn't, he wasn't great last year, but he was a redshirt freshman in a system that really wasn't, wasn't all that great. So, you know, you put him in a system now, maybe he's average, maybe he's above average, maybe he's maybe he's exactly what he was last year. I have no idea. But that's sort of the thing is we have no idea. But the first time he makes a bad read or the first time he throws an interception, the fan base is going to have to, again, just quarterbacks throw interceptions, quarterbacks throw incompletions. Um, if it turns into a theme, then obviously a change needs to be made. But um, you can't, you can't live through, you can't look at one event and say that the process is an issue. If Franks is the best player, he needs to start. He needs to have a pretty long leash and uh, you know, we'll see what happens as the, as the camp moves on. Yeah. And, and you're going to what things have, and you went into things much and Mullen has mentioned uh, recently. Another thing he's mentioned is, you know, he'll figure out what these quarterbacks do well and then harp on that. And I still think that's another thing too. It's still so early in fall camp that there's still a lot of installation going on. There's still a lot of figuring out uh, from the players and the coaches, what each other expect from each other. So, you know, I think with this first scrimmage, there probably were things that were thrown out there that wouldn't be necessarily thrown out in the game. You know, how would, Handle, how would he handle this situation? We don't even know how much running the quarterbacks were allowed to do. Now, we know that's going to be a huge part of this offense. And it also kind of leads me to, you know, Emory Jones. We haven't necessarily heard a whole lot uh, about him either being able to catch up to Felipe Franks and, and Kyle Trask. It does seem like, you know, he's in the true freshman stages where he's behind the, those two right now. Some good, some bad. We already know he's the better runner, but we just don't know how much of that running aspect part of the offense that we're seeing in the in, in just the the camp session of getting ready for the first game. Sure, and we're also not entirely sure of how Mullen's going to use the four game limit on redshirt players, and so it's conceivable they've got a plan to use Emory Jones in some sort of package, but not necessarily use him throughout the entire year, so that they can maintain the eligibility um, that he would lose if he was in there for the entire season. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of it. You know, you alluded to the offensive line. I mean, those things are all interconnected, right? Mm -hmm. So if your quarterback has to run the ball, the offensive line has to be able to hold up with that. If the if your quarterback's strength is his arm, and that's really Frank's strength, then the offensive line's going to have to hold up. And so, you know, these things are all symbiotic. I mean, 
last year's performance was not all Felipe Franks. I mean, he, he couldn't help that against Michigan, there were five guys in the backfield on every running play. Now he could help that every, <laughs> that there was no cadence and it was always a snap on one. And so that didn't necessarily help his offensive line. But again, you know, and there were pass protection plays where the offensive line did it correctly. And then the running back missed the pass protection he was supposed to have. So those sorts of things are going to have to get cleaned up. Mm-hmm. If, if nothing else, these guys have to get to the right assignment. If they're getting the right assignment and they get beat physically, I think you can deal with that. If they're getting beat mentally because they're not executing the right assignment, I think that's when people are going to start to get frustrated. Yep. Uh, so, well, we know. We know what Mullen said last week. Uh, he wants to, you know, probably name a starter uh, by the time the first week, uh, before the first game week uh, comes around. And does it seem in, in your mind that it is leaning toward Felipe Franks right now? I think so. I mean, there have been some reports that Trask hurt his hand or mm-hmm. that there might be something going on there. So, so he's not been quite as accurate. I think if he's making the right decisions, though, I mean, that's really what I'd be evaluating once you've got a quarterback with a with a busted hand. It's like you, you don't evaluate whether the throw is is accurate. You evaluate whether it's going to the right guy. Um, everything we've heard has been Frank's. We've heard Jones is quite a bit behind, at least. That's sort of that's sort of been the the scuttle coming out of the scrimmage. And if that's the case, then you know, I, I think they're gonna go with the guy who's got the experience. I know earlier this summer you and I were talking and I was like, you know, this is really an opportunity for Mullen to show his chops because Frank started last year and really, really struggled. If Frank starts this year and plays really, really well, well, you know, that <laughs> the only difference is the head coach. <laughs> and so uh so you know, that's a real feather in his cap, and I think really does from a sales perspective when you start talking about recruiting that's a place where you know having a quarterback show success on the field allows you to then go into somebody's house and say hey look at that look at the difference between 2017 and 2018 and maybe turn some heads yeah and it probably just gets the guys that are already committed to Florida more excited because uh (laughs) recruiting quarterbacks uh hasn't really necessarily been a problem from Mullen which is he got to Florida either so (laughs) we'll see how that goes um so, Will, you mentioned it, brought it up. Uh, I, I did earlier as well. Part of the blame could be placed uh, on the offensive line. Uh, you know, and there's a lot of hesitation of, of, you know, saying that this this group can't get it done because the experience is there. Uh, and, well, you know, the, the experience isn't everything. And, and with that said, this is a new system uh, and another new offensive line coach for those guys. You know, you go from Mike Summers to Brad Davis, and now a, a new system and another new offensive line coach with, with Hevesy in there now. And, and as we mentioned, it, it's going to take some time. I still think the run blocking will be fine, and, and the running backs also will help themselves out there as well. But but pass blocking still seems to, to be the big struggle with the st- struggle with the first team line. It's still a big reason I think these quarterbacks struggle. So I mean, I'm not putting it all in the offensive line, not putting it all uh, of the trouble on offense on the quarterback. It, it's mostly and should mostly fall on the quarterback. But this offensive line has been an issue uh, for quite some time. And you know, we, we thought Brett Hagee coming back for, from injury uh, would help you know, kind of maybe solidify uh, the starting five. Well, he's already hurt again uh, in a boot so uh, with, with a turf toe injury. So he'll be out for you know, another couple weeks or so. But you know, left to right, uh, Martez Ivey, Tyler Jordan, Nick Buchanan at center now, Frederick Johnson, Juwan Taylor, you know, Ivy, Jordan, Johnson, Taylor, familiar names on this offensive line and also some familiar problems. 
Sure. I mean, we saw flashes last year. There were some flashes that, you know, one of the things I think about, I guess, is the beginning of the second half against LSU where they just basically, basically, <laughs> you know, just plowed their way down the field. A couple of years ago against LSU, they took over the game in the third and fourth quarters. So there have been flashes for the offensive line where they've been able to be really productive and, and even be productive on the road, which is something that's a lot more difficult to do as an offensive line to take over the, the running game. Um, but certainly, you know, the game against Michigan last year was, was bad. Had the game against against Georgia was bad, though there were some extenuating circumstances there. The game against Florida State last year was bad. Um, every every game versus Florida State the last <laughs> five years, so seems like it's oh that that's, well, that that's the biggest difference on the field. Well, but so it's interesting because if you look at I remember a play last year that I specifically looked at in the Michigan game after Malik Zaire came in, and Zaire he had a hot read and he didn't take it and he hesitated. And then Ivy got beat, and um, and Zaire took a sack, and I think it was a sack for a safety. And on the play, the quarterback has to get that ball out on his third step, right? Like that is the play. Like Ivy is basically just got a clock in his head, and he's like, "I'm not gonna, you know, <laughs> like I I just have to keep the guy in front of me until the three step drop is complete. And if the three step drop, if the if the foot hits and the ball's not out of there, well, that's the quarterback's fault, and. You know, so I think there are some things there. There's there's trust between the quarterback, not wonder you know wondering whether the offensive line is going to hold up, and there's trust between the offensive line wondering whether the play is going to be run correctly. And I think rebuilding that trust is something that is going to happen over camp. I think it's something that's going to happen over the season. I would not be surprised to see breakdowns early in the season. Again, I think this goes back to the expectations we need to be setting to expect. Florida to come out and put up 55 points in Knoxville is probably an expectation that's going to leave us disappointed. To expect them to come out and be competitive in Knoxville, I think, is an expectation that's that's realistic and, and something that needs to needs to happen if Florida's going to have a successful season. Now, once you get to Georgia, Missouri, South Carolina, and Florida State, I mean, now you've had three quarters of a year mm-hmm. in the offensive system. And if the offensive line is still struggling, that's a real issue. But, you know, you give up a couple of sacks against Kentucky. I mean, it's just sort of the learning curve, and it's something we're going to have to deal with. I think um, an expectation that the experience is going to translate into dominance early is probably not a good expectation. I think what we need to recognize is just like with Franks, and this is his first year in Mullen's system, this is all of these offensive linemen's first year in Hevesy's system um, and and with all the technique and all the different things that he's going to ask them to do. And there will be some screw-ups early on, and and that's just something that Florida's going to have to live with. You know, and going to that point, too, you know, still early in camp, I expect improvement. And I've seen many fans ask uh, about maybe you know, this defensive line being able to help this offensive line come along because of uh, of what we're seeing is this defensive line being dominant at times. And the question that comes up uh, is, you know, if one in camp, if one unit looks good, is that the detriment? Is that at the detriment of the unit they are facing? And that's what you get with when you you go against each other. You know, if something good happens. Well, does that mean the other side of the ball is bad? So, you know, Twitter follower Doug Bailey sent us uh, this remark on Twitter. He goes, quote, I need someone to agree with me that the O-line being shaky right now uh, in their practice is a fantastic thing. A, that it means the defense is nasty and it's messing them up. B, that practicing against this defense every day will make them nasty. And, you know, I, I responded with, well, we've seen this kind of play out in recent seasons and it has usually meant that defensive line is good, but it doesn't necessarily make the offensive line any better. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think we heard a lot last year that the defensive line was going to be really, really strong. 
and some of that may have been because of the offensive line having some holes in it <laughs> in terms of some of the news that was coming out of fall camp. I, I just don't know that you can tell. I can What I can say is last year, Florida had 72 tackles for loss, 703 total tackles. So 10.2% of their tackles for loss or of their total tackles went for went for a loss. They had 23 sacks, so only 3.3% of their uh, of the total tackles as a ratio were sacks. That's not real high. If you look at Alabama, they were up around 11% and then 4.5% in terms of tackles for loss and sacks. So the defensive line last year was not getting into the backfield an awful lot. Now, obviously, it's changed with, with Grantham's scheme. And if you look at the year before, um, before Randy Shannon took over, Florida was in the backfield an awful lot. And so is it a talent? drain where a lot of those guys went to the NFL. I mean, a lot of those guys from two years ago got drafted in the NFL. So that's part of it. Or is it that Shannon played really conservative schemes, really predictable schemes, relied on his front four and the front four without having different angles and and, and different modes of attack really became predictable. And then the opposing offensive line was able to handle it pretty easily. I think the story is probably somewhere in between. I, I think, you know, there's probably less talent on this defensive line than there was two, three years ago, um, at least from an NFL perspective. And I think that Shannon's scheme last year was pretty simple. And so the scheme's going to get more complex. The question is, with the complexity of the scheme, does that cause breakdowns? Does that cause broken coverages? Does that cause that sort of stuff? Um, but, you know, I, I anticipate they'll get in the backfield more. The question is going to be, you know, there's been a lot of reports about coming from a whole lot of different angles. Well, that either requires that you're running a zone a, a zone blitz scheme where you got somebody dropping into coverage. So, you know, you've got a defensive end on a running back or something like that, or it means you're bringing extra guys and your defensive backs have to hold up. And, and, you know, so we'll see whether they can do that. Well, do, do you buy into the fact that this might could help the offensive line uh, in a way, if this is what we're seeing that if these guys are as talented uh, as some fans believe. And I do think this, off, I do think this defensive line is deeper. Uh, than, than than last year, I think you know Conlon Slayton coming around, uh, and, and especially in the middle of the of the line there uh, could really help this defense. But going against these, you know, the offensive line, we're talking about their struggles here. Does that help going against this? Like as I, as I said, I, it didn't necessarily mean that in years past. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's going to help. And I mean, anytime, <laughs> anytime here against a unit that's pretty decent. So last year. Um, Defensive rush yards per play, Florida was 54th. They were 105th in defensive pass yards per play. So mm -hmm. the defensive line was okay against the run. They weren't fantastic, but they were okay. Um, against pass, they were pretty bad. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so you know, is that because they weren't getting pressure? I think that's some of it. Is it because the linebacker, there wasn't a whole lot of versatility. So I think this year, one of the things that the offensive line is going to see in practice is the versatility of guys like Trey Dean, of guys like Amari Bernie, um, you know, being able to move guys between safety, nickel, corner, and, and, and even the same thing at linebacker. So you got CC Jefferson, who can put his hand in the ground or could probably play in coverage as a linebacker. Um, same thing with Ja'Kai Polite and, and Jabari Zaniga. You know, those guys um, probably have the skills to play some coverage. And so to be able to do that means you'll be able to send guys from different angles. Sure, that's going to help. That's going to help the offensive line to learn how to recover when when they don't read something correctly right off the bat. Um, you know, certainly there were some complex blitzes sent at them last year in the Michigan game that they just could not handle. I think the biggest thing is going to be that they just have to build up trust. You know, you have to believe that if you do your assignment right, that the guy next to you is going to do his assignment right. And, you know, they've 
there's a lot of experience, but that experience is sort of um, is is experience of the guy next to you not doing his job right. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I mean, and and it happened a lot last year. You could find examples where everybody but one guy did his job, but that meant that the quarterback got drilled, and you know that can't happen. And so, building that trust, I think, is going to be the biggest thing. And yeah, I think coming from different angles will help guys figure that out. But again, this is one of those things where until you get out on that field, until you're struggling a little bit, and all of a sudden things click. Um, you know, or you do something that your coach has been harping on you to do for months and you finally do it and you execute it and you go, Oh, like, and the mm-hmm. light bulb goes on, um, you know, until that happens, I, I don't know that practice is necessary. I mean, obviously practicing against, against better players is going to make you better, but I don't necessarily know that scheme is going to do it. I think at some point it's the success of the offensive line is going to be pretty scheme independent. I think it's going to be based on executing what they're meant to do yeah. from the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, and I do like your point too. Of also pointing out the 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 scheme of the defense will help you know just a little because we we've seen this Todd Grantham defense and the, the exotic blitzes he comes up with, and you never know where a guy's coming from. So uh, I do think that part uh, can can definitely help. And uh, another part of the offensive line before we move on here, you know, has been we mentioned it last week, and it still is kind of re- it's still kind of showing up this week as as well as we got or a week later, but still. To having trouble keeping up with the pace, you know, in the practice over the weekend, they were constantly getting harped on for not being fast enough, you know, not getting up to the line fast enough. You know, there's still some learning going on here, and these guys have to to adjust and learn on the fly. I think uh, right now, now I do think that the coaches are putting them through maybe things uh, a little faster than any games to see how they respond. But this unit has to improve theirs. You know, we went back and talked about it last week. They're not used; they weren't used to the whole. You know, pace of play, get up to the line under McElwain, and, and thus Meyer just wasn't that style of offense. Uh, uh, coaching probably wasn't there at all. It was a complicated offense to begin with. Uh, but will it still the the pace of play that we want to see? You know, and I think I read somewhere going back to uh, you could kind of also see from the pace of play going that maybe Florida snapping the ball with around, you know, 15 seconds left on the play clock or, you know, taking 15 seconds to get up to the line and, and snap the ball. And that's a different change from, from what we're going to see and something that these guys are really going to have to get used to. Yeah. Well, I mean, I really, out of all the things I hope to see, that's really one of them. That's something I think you can see day one, right? They should yeah. be able to come out and, you know, the days of having 62 snaps on offense, um, you know, should be over. Even if you want to run the ball a ton, you, you know, part of part of running the ball is is exhausting the other team. Now, the offense has been so ineffective the last three years that you know you come out, you run the ball three times, it's a three and out, and then you punt, mm-hmm. and then your defense is sitting on the other side gassed. And we've seen that happen quite a few times as well over the last couple of years. So, um, it, you know, I I think pace is great when you're being successful. I think the question for Mullen is going to be how do you balance that. Um, with the fact that you have to keep your keep your defense fresh if the offense struggles at all, um, but yeah, I mean it'll it'll be a welcome sight to see them get up to the line of scrimmage with <laughs> with teens on the play clock, um, and that's one of the things that I think maybe from from Felipe Frank's perspective is really an area that we're going to have to see him develop mm-hmm. because last year it felt like the offense was considerably slower when he was in there as compared to Luke Del Rio. I think in the spring game we felt the same thing between him and Trask and Emory Jones that things were just slower, and so. So, you know, the question is going to be, is is he ready to do that? Um, now, one thing I do think you get from the pace, you were asking about the defense 
testing the offense. I think when you start up in the pace, when the defense is coming at you from different angles, it is going to force the quarterbacks to make the reads faster. And, you know, that that's a good thing from a practice perspective, if they're forcing them to make the reads faster, if they're forcing them to get up there and sort of put them on the edge of being comfortable. And that way, when you get, you know, you, we want that snap with 15 seconds left. That way, when you get in a game, you wait until there's nine or 10 and you're, you're completely comfortable with the play you're running. Yeah. And I think, you know, there were also times in the last couple of seasons too, when Florida actually did, you know, try and get a little up tempo, whether it be before a half or, you know, something like that, there was some success there. And, you know, so hopefully they kind of just translate into just a, a more overall faster offense uh, under Mullen. Uh, and, you know, we see, we see it not so slow and prodding uh, like it had been uh, in, in the previous staff there. Uh, we'll move to the other side of the ball and another welcome sighting here. Chauncey Gardner uh, Johnson showing out here and uh, really, really a welcome sight for me. I, I just like the way he plays here. And I think, you know, something uh, I really like to see and what, what I'm most excited about him is, Hey, look, he's showing the ability to come off the edge and get into the backfield for sacks. And, you know, we saw that in more aggressive, you know, pass defenses, you know, that Florida had. You know, go back and look at DBs coming off the edge and Jalen Tabor, you know, coming in for a strip sack or something like that. And, you know, you see these DBs coming off the edge and exotic looks is, uh, by the defense. But you know, that was something missing in, in last year's defense. And I really feel much like with the, the traditional edge rushers that this style of defense fits someone like Gardner Johnson uh, as well, someone who can – freelance in a way and be a playmaker in the secondary and then also has to step up and get to the backfield and go, you know, and go get after a screen pass, you know, after last season and, and, and the missed tackles that kept happening and all that, you know, I think maybe in, in a more attacking style defense, it suits somebody like Chauncey Gardner as well. Yeah. You used the word I was going to use there, which is freelance. And a lot of times we think about freelancing as a bad thing on defense. You know, you got a defensive end who doesn't set the edge and all of a sudden, and all of a sudden a running back gets loose or something like that. And the position that Randy Shannon put Chauncey Gardner Johnson in last year was really kind of unfair for him, putting him in that role where he was the safety who was walking up to the line of scrimmage to be the enforcer. Obviously they would have rather had Marcel Harris doing that last year, but he was injured. And so they didn't have him doing that and they couldn't let Gardner Johnson sort of roam and, and do some of the things that he does freshman year, um, you know, to cause all the interceptions against Florida state and, and, and Iowa and those sorts of things. Um, if he can get back to that and not necessarily just freelancing, in, in the defensive backfield, but also, like you said, coming off the edge, those sorts of things. He's certainly an explosive athlete, um, and, and you don't want to lose that by just making him the enforcer at safety. So, <laughs> so it sounds like they're, they're using other guys as in that role from an enforcer perspective and letting Gardner sort of roam, and I think that's the right role for somebody like him who's got the kind of talent profile he does. Yeah, you because know, they're lining up, lining him up more in the nickel right now, and you know just just by sheer design of the defense. If you're if you're in the nickel, yeah, you're closer to the quarterback anyway. So you know now he can come up, look like he's going to press the receiver, and right before the snap, you know either shift in a little bit and, and go get it, or maybe even just you know in press coverage just straight from where he's lined up, go after and go get the quarterback. And it was you know time after time again of noticing and identifying a screen pass you know so you know this is his third year playing college football he learned we saw the tail end of his freshman year as you mentioned going and making those big plays uh last year you know in, in another system having to, to learn the defense uh, from from another perspective and now in year three you know, i think well, another reason you're seeing him being able to go get in the backfield and make plays like this because pure experience now kind of combining with all the talent that he has 
Yeah, well, and I think, you know, we need to acknowledge that the nickel is basically the base defense these days <laughs> with, all, <laughs> with all the throwing that goes on. And some of the stuff that he went through last year in terms of in terms of being put in a position where he had to make tackles might end up really benefiting the defense this year. Because if you're playing a 3-4 and Gardner is essentially one of those four linebackers, which is really what a nickel is, right? Well, now you have the capacity to do some of the things we've we've talked about. Um, you know that in the Georgia preview that's going to be coming up, we talked a little bit about Fromm throwing to the outside. Well, Gardner can prevent that if he can make those tackles, or if he can just hold his own in there in the run game. Well, now you've got a lockdown guy um, in the, in the slot who's taking on who's taking on the opposing wide receiver. So it takes away some of the things the offense might want to do. Um, you know, so I, I think. At the end of the day, you got to get your best guys on the field. Florida traditionally, and I think from a recruiting perspective, has recruited stronger at the defensive back position. And so putting five of them on the field is probably going to be the standard defense this year based on everything that, uh, based on everything we've seen. All right, we'll move to a, to another level of the defense and some young linebackers out here looking good. Will and uh, in the spring we saw Rayshard Jackson. You know, he was a name that you know that hadn't really been talked about. He's been around, uh, but he's, in the name started in, in the spring started making a name for himself uh, there. And now we can see a couple of other lesser known guys making a name for themselves as well. You know, this is a position where you know there's some questionable depth in Florida needs to find guys that can help support middle linebacker David Reese. So Ventrell Miller and James Houston have been showing up. Uh, uh, you know, so so far, um, and getting in the backfield, being you know these physical type of players, and also laying the wood to to running backs. You know, Darius Lemons uh, has tweeted that uh, he hates linebackers, and that's after James Houston's been getting after Lemons so far uh, in the fall. So Houston will now play more inside after switching over from from the rush in position because of all the bodies Florida has there with CC Jefferson, Jacopoli, Zaniga, uh, Jeremiah Moon, and those guys. So you know Houston comes <laughs> comes out and says he goes, I, I love inside. I played it in high school, so it's just a, a little bit more natural for me. Uh, I feel like I fly around the ball quicker, and I'm just kind of faster on the field. So I know this position for you, Will, has been kind of one that that's been pointed out on the defense just because. We need somebody out there that can help David Reese, you know, just from being the only you know playmaker. Because look, when we go back to the end of 2016, and you had Jared Davis get hurt, you had Alex Anzalone get hurt, and we saw David Reese and Vasan Joseph come in, and they made plays. You know, they went to LSU and helped uh, get a win at, at LSU, and then it ended that season to where there wasn't much of a drop off uh, at the linebacker position when those guys were in. Yes, they were getting caught out of position a little bit just because of uh, inexperience, but you know the drop off wasn't as as severe in, in Jeff Collins last year uh, there. So you know they, they proved it. We got we got excited. We saw glimpse, and then they all just besides David Reese just kind of fell by the wayside last year. So if James Houston and yeah, Ventrell Miller, you know, these guys weren't on the field last season because of their roles in, in the credit card scandal, but they may, they seem to be making the most of this opportunity so far in camp. Yeah, I think I think it's great news that the Florida linebackers are, are showing some signs. I think that's certainly a place where there needs to be some improvement. I mean, you know, we we can talk all we want about Randy or about Randy Shannon and some of the adjustments that he either did or didn't make and how simplistic the defense was at times. But some of that was driven by the fact that he just really didn't have the personnel that was necessary to run more complex schemes. I mean, if your linebackers can't, can't 
take on running backs and tight ends in coverage, then you got to bring in DBs. If your DBs can't tackle the opposing running back on a running play, you got to pick your poison. And, and they had to do that an awful lot. So certainly having guys stepping up at linebacker position is going to be important. It's one of the reasons why DeWan Black's commitment is such a big deal for next year to bring in a top 100 guy at the linebacker position is, is an important thing for Florida to be doing on a yearly basis at this point. Um, I do think it's a little bit dangerous to be counting on guys who haven't played a game on the field yet as as people that you're going to say hey these are these are players who are going to be standouts for us i mean they may they may play very very well but to your point you know you sort of talked about guys getting out of position last year or two years ago when they had to come in for for jared davis and anzalone you're going to see the same thing with guys who are young and so especially in a complex defense like grantham um and those sorts of breakdowns cause gash plays and those gash plays lead to points and so um i do think it's going to be important to for guys like moon for guys like reese um for guys like joseph to really be able to um to at least hold their own when they're out there and have these guys maybe be the depth that you need either when you when they get tired or when you have an injury or two yeah yeah it's just also, you know, we harped on it and we jumped on these guys, you know, for the credit card uh, scandal last year and everything that happened there. So, you know, at least these guys are, are seeing now their opportunity and taking the advantage of it. Yeah, I mean, they've been around the program for a while now, so um, certainly you hope that that has an impact. Um, you know, at this point, they've paid their debt, and that's fine. I'm glad they're back. It's not a matter. It's not a matter of being mad at them. It's a matter yeah. of understanding they haven't been on the field, yeah. and and to to count on guys who haven't been on the field to be major contributors at a at a bunch of different positions is is just you know, that that's probably not something you necessarily want to be doing. And so, you know, again, Joseph and Reese and all the guys and sort of um, going from a three, four or for, from a four, three to a three, four helps probably mm-hmm. um, some of the guys who were defensive ends are going to be kind of hybrid linebackers. And so you don't necessarily need quite as many linebackers, but yeah. Um, yeah, it's great news. If these guys are stepping up, I just, I worry that it's going to be easy to, uh, to isolate their inexperience. It's still going to be a place where opposing defenses are going to attack yeah. and Florida's going to have to prove that they've fixed that position before people will stop attacking it. All right. Well, so, uh, throughout to our uh, Gators breakdown listeners and stuff out there, you know, with two weeks in camp, what do you feel good about and what concerns you and got some good feedback here. So start with our good friend, uh, Sean Steed, who uh, made our cups for us, our Gators breakdown cups and our reading reaction cup. So, uh, Thank you very much there for Sean. But uh, he said he goes from uh, I went from thinking nine to ten wins to seven to eight wins solely based off the offensive line, offensive line reports from camp. Yeah, I mean that's certainly been. I mean, so I think the offense is going to get better. I think we can probably say that. I wrote an article last year for SEC Country, though, that sort of looked at the probability of of offenses that are in the hundreds and how much better they get, and like. You know, there's there's about a seventy percent or a, almost an eighty percent chance that they're gonna that the that an offense as bad as Florida's is gonna improve by at least somewhere between zero to ten spots, but there's only a fifty percent chance that it's gonna improve between ten to twenty, and then if you're talking about going forty to forty nine spots, now that there's only about a quarter, you know, twenty eight percent of the of the time does that actually happen when you look at an offense that's in the hundreds that ends up in the sixties. So if we're sort of looking at what's most likely to happen, um, I would say that an off the offense is going to, um, you know, is going to be better 
but it's probably going to be in that like that 80 to 90 range. And so then you got to figure out what do you need to see from the defense in order to get to in order to get to a, a season that's considerably better. I will say that the the addition of the hurricane game that we lost last year and having that cupcake and then also having another cupcake in lieu of the Michigan game basically means you're at a baseline of six, right? I mean, there were four and seven mm-hmm. last year. You put the hurricane in, you put the cupcake game in instead of Michigan, you know, you're you're at six and you're in six and six, and, and that's probably the baseline. But you know, <laughs> there's there's a lot of work to do. Like I, I said earlier, they were 107th in pass yards per play. They on the offense, they were 105th in defensive pass yards per play. That's not a good combination. They <laughs> they earned their four and seven record last year, and both of those are going to have to improve. And that's sort of where I think I'd get concerned about predicting 10 wins for the team is that you have to see improvement in a lot of different areas. Now, we expect to see improvement on the offense. We expect to see some improvement on the defense. How significant that improvement is is really going to determine the success of the team. All right, and some more tweets here. There will be a a trend here. So <laughs> I believe uh, R.L. Stern 9 says, I haven't heard much positive about the offensive line. Hoping that's because the defensive line is just beastly. Uh, we discussed that there. Uh, Gator Ryan, Ryan Hinckley. Um, you go, offensive line, offensive line, offensive line. All boils down to that on offense. Everything else should be fine. Uh, Cavern Harris, uh, positive. Team is relatively healthy. Grimes and Jefferson. Malik looks good. Young linebackers, concerns, offensive line, and quarterback. Uh, and then attitude 14, uh, feel good is the defensive line, concerned, offensive line, and quarterback. Uh, Caleb Batchelor, positive vibes. Uh, Mullen knows the Gator standard and is a good coach, concerns, quarterback, and offensive line depth. And Thomas Moss, uh, he goes, I think the players who did not play last year are going to play motivated and angry since they didn't play. We had other players, which adds depth. Last year, occurrence turned out to be a good springboard uh, for this year. So we'll kind of backs up what you were saying earlier. Uh, and last one, uh, Swamp Moth, uh, ACS, Gators. Uh, everyone else will say the obvious offensive line and quarterback, but the middle of the defense is largely, largely unproven. Defensive tackle, linebacker, and safety. Yeah, I mean, there there are a lot of places where a lot of teams are unproven. I think even some of the elite teams have, I mean, and this is one of the nice parts about college football is every year there's enough turnover that you very rarely do you say, hey, you know, there aren't any question marks. The problem with Florida is they got returning starters all over the field and we're still talking about question marks. <laughs> and, and that's, you know, just the nature of the season that they had last year. Um, I think it's right to look at the offensive line and the quarterback and say, those, those are the most critical areas for the team. I mean, if you look, you know, you and I have talked about yards above replacement, which is something that I calculate for quarterbacks. There's a pretty decent correlation. It's something we'll be writing about in the next week or two about correlation between winning and your quarterback winning that yards above replacement battle against the opposing quarterback. Um, you know, and, and, so obviously it, it takes in yards per attempt. So that's pretty much the quarterback's realm, but it also takes in his yards per rush and sacks are added into that number. And so if the offensive line is bad and the quarterback is only throwing for six yards an attempt, well, you're, you're going to be negative pretty much all the time, which means your defense is really going to have to hold the opposing quarterback down. And that's sort of what happened last year. Um, you know, there were only a couple of games where Florida's quarterback even was above average. So the game against Kentucky, uh, once Del Rio came in, the game against Vanderbilt, um, and then the game against Missouri, the quarterback was actually above average, but by then they were behind by like 30. So it didn't really matter. And um, 
Drew Locke was still lighting it up on that side. But, you know, some of those wins early against against Tennessee, Kentucky, and Vanderbilt, the defense really held down the opposing quarterback. Once you got into the LSU, Texas A&M, Georgia, Missouri games, the defense wasn't quite as good against the opposing quarterback, and so Florida wasn't able to win those games. So, um, you know, it, it's – it's the right thing to be focused on. The, the offensive line, particularly in pass protection, is going to be critical, and they're going to have to see improvement there for Florida to improve overall. Oh, yeah. All right. Thanks, for everybody. I sent those remarks there as I put it out on Twitter. So uh, thanks for listening to the show, and also thanks for all the interaction uh, that you give us here uh, on, on Twitter and uh, here on, on the show. Hey, Will, guess what? What's up, Dave? Florida got a commitment last night. Hey man, it's great news. Yeah, great news. I, I got I got people twitter tweeting at me that it's that it's past August first. So, <laughs> um, you know they're they're all they're all enjoying giving me some crap about it. But August I just 4th, said August. I just said ratios after August first don't change. So that is and, what and, you said. That is what you said. <laughs> and you know what? I I I hope I hope I hope I hope that I am wrong and that Mullen pulls in a monster class coming up after August 1st. And and if he does, I will come on here and eat crow and be happy to do it because it means that Florida is getting better and it means that Florida is getting, getting better players in. And, and that's what we want to see. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's great news. That they're bringing him in, bringing, bringing in Kimbrough. It's great news that they're bringing in a defensive back. Cause certainly that's a place where we've seen that depth, um, particularly with the Justin Watkins dismissal um, and Randy Russell's uh, uh, medical issue is a little bit thin. And so, you know, anytime you can bring in a four-star guy, it's, it's an important addition. Yep. Uh, as Will mentioned, Chester Kimbrough from Louisiana, four-star uh, on the 24-7 sports composite, ranked uh, about 89.02 uh, for the commit there, uh, nationally ranked 366th player, uh, 34th ranked cornerback, and the 15th ranked prospect in the state. Hey, Will, here we go. They went to Louisiana and got one. So, uh, you know, hard to pull those guys away from LSU. LSU offered late. Uh, there was some worry that if LSU ever offered, that Kimbrough would stay locally uh, to LSU. So it was good for, you know, Florida able to get him on campus around the springtime. Uh, we heard some rumors that he might would commit around Friday Night Lights. That didn't happen. Uh, but, you know, I think we – we kind of knew if you if you know listening around the program that he was really high on Florida. Florida was going to be the pick. Uh, he was he was going to have some fun and do his commitment the way he wanted to. He released a video uh, that you know unveiled that he was going to commit to Florida. Uh, but you know with with this uh, commit, it got Florida up to twenty eighth in national ranking on twenty four seven Sports Composite. Still ranked eleventh in the SEC. Uh, but you know the uh, average rating of eighty nine point thirty two is pretty high up there. Uh, definitely higher than the national rank of 28 there. So I have to go calculate that of where Florida would be, um, you know, ranked as far as you use. I, I like to go by the average rating more, more so than just the, the pure basic rating uh, that's out there. But, you know, his 12th commitment there for Florida, uh, good pickup, Will, you know, physical cornerback. Uh, you know, a lot of the times he was at the LSU camp, I know, uh, in the springtime, and uh, there was a lot of people were talking of uh, his physicalness. You know, he's not, you know, not, not the tallest corner, but uh, it, it needs to put some more weight on, especially when you know when he gets here, when Nick Savage puts some more weight on. But you know, being the, the the style of physical corner that he is, you can see why Florida liked him. Yeah. So going back to what you were saying about the overall rating, um, so Tennessee's at eighty nine point four four. And as you were saying, Florida is at a uh, 89.32. So really on par with sort of the, the guys in the SEC that, that they're going to have to compete with 
um, other other than Georgia and Alabama in terms of in terms of sort of the overall rating. So a very positive sign, um, bringing bringing that average up. And and you know even even some of the three star guys are probably going to be very very good players. Um, it's just that overall you want to get more shots at it, and, and the more blue chips you can bring in, the better it is. As far as Kimbrough specifically, um, you know there's there's a reason he's not a five star candidate. I'm not sure you can expect him to come in and and you know be lights out day one. But maybe maybe he does have that skill set. It, you know I haven't had a whole lot of chance to look at the film. Um, I know that uh, bringing somebody in from Louisiana means I, I think that's a good sign that you can bring somebody in from there. The question is going to be, can they hold on to them through signing day? Um, you know, you mentioned LSU offering and, and the question will be how much energy do they have to expend to make sure that he stays part of this class? But, you know, Hey, I'm excited to bring in, bring in high level guys on, on the, uh, on the recruiting trail. Certainly that's something Mullen's going to have to do. <laughs> Just need 13 more, Dave. <laughs> 13 more. <laughs> Hey, well, on the way to that 13 more, if you look at the 24-7 sports crystal ball, hey, Will, Florida's starting to uh, get trendy uh, for some, some high, high-level high recruits here. Jaden Hill, cornerback, another six-foot you know six foot cornerback, 172 pounds, uh, four-star there. Uh, Muhammad, uh, and I'm probably going to miss his last name up. I don't know how you say it. I guess it's Diabate, Diabate. One of those two. I'm going with it. So uh, outside linebacker there, uh, four-star with a rating of 93.99, so basically a 94 uh, on 24-7 sports, 6'3.5", 211, and also uh, four-star Naquan Wright running back, 5'8", 185, with a, you know, as I mentioned, four-star, uh, 92.02 rating on 24-7. So well, we talked about getting you know, the elites to four- and five-stars, and it looks like, Florida starting to trend their way right before the season starts of getting some of these guys in the fold. Yeah, well, this is really good news. I mean, this is something that Florida's going to have to do. It's something Mullen's going to have to do. Um, I think the same thing. You know, we we talked a little bit earlier about managing expectations for the uh, for the season. I think the same thing sort of applies to recruiting. I mean, you know. The behemoths are in the SEC and they're at one two right now. So Alabama and Georgia each have seven top one hundred guys. I think it's unrealistic at this point to expect Florida to be bringing in that kind of talent. But you got to bring in you got to bring in talent to to start closing that gap from where you are today. And certainly that's that's what Mullen's going to try to do. And it looks like he's starting to do that. All right. So yeah, a little bit of recruiting news uh, as fall camp goes on too. So some good news on the recruiting trail. Uh, there for the Gators is just I guess keep watching out. You know the crystal ball start flowing in, and maybe a commitment not not soon after, uh, no, or not long after uh, for some of those guys out there. So, will I'll uh, let you plug uh, read and reaction because you know it also goes hand in hand with what uh, we're discussing uh, in these opponent previews, and especially our next one uh, with our opponent preview uh, of the Georgia Bulldogs on your uh, site, readreaction.com. You. Probably made a few Gator fans smile here as you made a case against Georgia winning the SEC East. Yeah, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Georgia being a sure thing, and certainly I think it makes sense that people would pick Georgia, seeing as how they played in the national championship game last year, won the SEC, and um, there's been a lot of coaching turnover in the in the East, in particular at Tennessee and and uh, and Florida, um, but. You know, the, the, this reminds me a little bit of 2007, where Tim Tebow took over the role from Chris Leak. Florida was coming off a national championship. The thought was all the elite recruits that were just going to be plug and play, and and Florida was going to be just as good. And I believe they started that season top five. They might have even started top three, um, and and just couldn't live up to it, and wound up losing a, a shootout in the Capital One Bowl against Michigan, where just Florida couldn't stop anybody. And then you look in 2008, and all of a sudden the defense was locked down again. And so, you know. 
Michelle and Chubb are leaving. Those guys are really, really, really good players. Even if you bring in five-star guys to replace them, are they going to be as good? Same thing. You know, they lost on a on a um, you know on a, on a kind of fluke play. They lost the national championship. How's that going to impact the inner locker room dynamics? You've got Justin Fields, the number one recruit behind Jake Fromm. How's that going to enter? You know, how how's that relationship going to going to go? You know, do you have half the team going for Fields and half going for Fromm, or is it you know everybody's behind Fromm and Fields is just going to have to wait his turn? So there are reasons to believe that you know. Everything so Eason goes down last year. Fromm comes in and everything just comes up aces for for Georgia, right? I mean, it's it's entirely conceivable they lose that game at Notre Dame based on the way Fromm played. Um, you know, he, first game on the road, he played pretty poised, but look, he didn't win the game. <laughs> and so, you know, everything sort of fell in line for Georgia last year, and that doesn't always happen. You get a couple of injuries on the offensive line. Fromm gets injured. He doesn't really come back from the broken wrist he suffered during the offseason, all those sorts of things. So, um, yeah, so it was just a look at what could happen um, and and sort of, you know, that Georgia isn't necessarily the um, – the lockdown favorite to be playing for the national championship again, they're, they're going to have to earn it and, and we'll see. All right. So for more uh, and a deeper look at Georgia, as I said, we've been rolling out these opponent previews uh, as we record this is a Tuesday night. So most people, you know, you're listening live or uh, you'll get the podcast on Wednesday, uh, but on Thursday also you know, the Georgia preview uh, will be released and, you know, kind of how Florida matches up with Georgia and everything uh, to Georgia's replacing on uh, on defense and, and two running back stars uh, on offense. So, you know, we kind of – if you've been listening to those reviews, you know I'll give a pretty good preview of all the opponents Florida's facing. So this week is – or later this week is the Georgia Bulldogs. And you can get that on newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown as well as all the other opponent previews. So, Will, well, man, we did it again. Hey, man, a couple weeks left. <laughs> a couple yeah. weeks left we'll have real football to talk about. All the lies will be over and we'll be, <laughs> able to, we'll be able to actually assess what's going on in the field. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to seeing how this offense is going to look. I'm looking forward to seeing the adjustments that Mullen has made. And, and you know, I, I certainly think that things are going to be looking up compared to where they were last year, and, and I'm here for it, man. Yeah, Mullen will meet with the media on Wednesday. So by the time those people listen to this, uh, Mullen will have been talked. But he was supposed to talk on Tuesday, and I was going to use that for part of the podcast. But uh, it just changes, Will. Uh, you know, we'll 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 jabber for an hour regardless. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we'll get if, if you people don't follow me on Twitter, some of us like we, Will and I were talking last week. Oh, this might be a shorter episode. Uh, and then Will responds with, "Ah, eh, you know, something something always happens." And then uh, Chester Kimbrough commits. So at least it was good news, Will. Hey man, last year at this time it was credit cards and it was <laughs> it was trying to figure out who's gonna who's gonna be eligible and it was Callaway getting pulled over with a with a drug dealer and all that sort of stuff. So um, very 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 welcome news to talk about a, a commit um, as opposed to some of that other stuff. Yeah, as long as uh, Bill doesn't come around chasing me with a frying pan, I think I'd be okay. <laughs> Well, that, that, that is his weapon of choice. You, you got to watch out if you go over to his house, if he's going to smoke you some barbecue, man. <laughs> that, that's, his, that's his ruse to get you over there. Where's the frying pans? <laughs> hey, that's, that's the weapon of choice this year, man. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll come from that, uh, the PUBG video game. So there we go. All right. Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSEC and his site, readandreaction.com. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. <laughs>